Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, open source software, its breadth and its depth. The most of Silicon Valley lives in easy and sexy, and it's a revolutionary new way to order pizza. The real studs out there do sexy and difficult, like space and self-driving cars. Just about every part of your daily life is affected by software and how businesses get the things you need to you. We take it for granted that everything will work as expected and we rely on we rely on it for the trivial and the life-threatening. But have you ever wondered who makes sure that all this happens properly? The answer will frankly surprise you, I think. And JC Hertz is a national expert on open source software and supply chain and, and the culture of technology creation. We're lucky to have her in the studio. She is the CEO and co-founder of Ion Channel. She's an influential advisor to DARPA and other agencies, an author and public speaker. We're going to talk about this whole issue of logistics, open source software, and how important it is the things we use and the cultural underpinnings of how it gets created and, frankly, how often these things can collide in really unexpected ways. JC, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Well, I want to talk, first of all, about how you describe the, the quadrant of software design and, and how that really affects how we think about things like logistics and, and technology. Right. So I, I like to use an informal you know, quadrant of, on one axis, easy and difficult, and on the other axis, sexy and boring. So most of Silicon Valley lives in easy and sexy, and it's a revolutionary new way to order pizza. The real studs out there do sexy and difficult, like space and self-driving cars. Easy and boring is most enterprise software, and then difficult and boring is where government lives. And that's why it's it's so hard to cover and it's so hard to discuss because the minute you start trotting out NIST standards, you know, the eyes begin to glaze. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. It's very difficult. It's excruciatingly boring and it's hyper consequential. And to some degree, these are the problems now of all enterprises because it's not just government agencies that are getting attacked a million times a day by state actors. Hmm. Well, that, I think in some ways you, you bore them boring I, I think of it as almost commodity like that a lot of the things that go into a software deployment now are little building blocks lego blocks of what i would describe as open source software right and most people don't realize that 80 percent of proprietary software commercial vendor it is open source and so large global corporations are building their 10 to 20 percent special sauce on top of open source components and if they don't keep it patched and they update it, you're vulnerable. So this creates huge supply chain vulnerabilities for everyone. And this is where the cultural aspects come to play. My understanding of open source software is one of the big aspects of it is the point of it is somebody writes a piece, uh, puts code together a certain way and says to the world, here it is, have at it, use it however you want, but no warranty, no representation, it's going to work, Just, but here it is. And my understanding is that most of the products that we take an advantage of and use today have many of these different open source modules built into them that are freely available and makes it easy to build software, but hard to make sure it works right. Yeah, and I think that we, we have to replace our, our frame in a way because people are still talking about commercial versus open source, like back when Steve Ballmer was in charge of Microsoft calling Linux a cancer, you know, everyone got that narrative. Microsoft just bought GitHub, which is the leading platform for, for open, source open source software development. So things have changed. The other thing is that this distinction between 
commercial software, which, by the way, comes with no warranty, too, if you read the end user license You're agreement. You're absolutely right. And open source is that it forces people to look at all open source like it's the same. But there's open source, which is maintained with huge corporate support, with hundreds of developers watching and fixing and evolving it constantly. And then there are single committer components where it's just one guy. Mm. And to, to lump it all in starts to create some really dangerous myopia because you're calling apples, mangoes, oranges, and concrete bricks the same thing. Right. It's not even all fruit. <laughs> so you have to really start to understand that supply chain. So in Ion Channel, one of the things that we return in our bodies of evidence is how many committers are developing and maintaining code for each of these components that you're using. And if you have single committer components, that's probably something you want to think about migrating away from because of the bus factor. That guy gets hit by a bus. There's no one maintaining the code. Or you know, it could be a bad guy. Or it's just poor code because no one's reviewing it. And then there's the other issue, the cybersecurity issue, that if you have a piece of code that isn't being updated and patched, it, it's the back door into a system. The most attractive target for malware is a widely used component that is poorly maintained. Mm -hmm. So it's not version one of something because no one's using version one of something. It's version 6.1 of something, but everyone has moved on. And so in our data platform, what we see is this kind of migration when a programming language becomes unfashionable and people abandon it for a new one. You know, it's, it's almost like an ecosystem, the wildebeest are migrating. You don't want to go to that dry watering hole that is this programming language because no one is maintaining components written in this language anymore. Or the software equivalent of using an eight and a half inch floppy disk. <laughs> Absolutely, and people don't right. realize this when they procure software or adopt software. It's almost like they wanna treat it as a capital good. Like this is a car, it's right. great. It's I'm gonna amortize it over five years. It's cherry, it's awesome. But they have to understand that software ages like milk, not like fine wine. And the minute you implement something, it's already depreciating and degrading. And unless you constantly monitor for vulnerabilities against that and automate that, because there's no other way to do it with your staff, you're you're gonna it's gonna there's gonna be a gotcha there. What are the practical problems? Why does a complex supply chain matter to a business or a consumer? The more complex the supply chain is the more places there are for it to go wrong, mm. right? So Heartbleed that happened a few years ago, OpenSSL was a component that created a serious vulnerability. And it wasn't just in the OpenSSL that people had, it was baked into Oracle, it was baked into IBM, it was hidden in everything. So unless you've got an automated view and a full roster of what you've implemented and you're monitoring that, the more that supply chain expands, the more behind the curve you're going to be because you can't do it manually with people anymore. And then there's also the issue of just disaster. You gave me the example before you came on the air of Ford with the F-150 truck. Right. So there was one factory on the coast of Japan that made the pigment that renders the paint sparkly on a car. And after Fukushima, if you wanted a Ford F-150 in tuxedo black, you were out of luck for several months. 
And that's a single point of failure. And that's akin to what I talk about with these single committer components. It's a single point of failure. And if you start racking those up into an application that has 1,300, 1,400, 2,000 software dependencies, and that's not unusual, there's just the odds that somewhere something is going to go wrong. And if you don't know that it's gone wrong, you're going to be vulnerable. Well, JC, I'll tell you, the big takeaway for me is software is not fine wine, it's milk. (laughs) But more importantly, if we don't take the time to look under the hood, our businesses are very much at risk. Yeah, and I think automation is the secret to that because the volume of velocity of software and software change now has made it impossible to even contemplate hiring the six or 12 or 20 people you would need to do the job if you could hire them. Thanks for taking the time and unpacking this issue today, JC. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we want to say a special thank you to these show's sponsors. What's working in Washington wouldn't happen without the support of other organizations here in town who want to make a difference by highlighting how a region grows. Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, their business development team can help you find the best talent and ideal location and the latest in market and business intelligence. Your business starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. And Tedco. Tedco invests in early stage and life sciences companies. It produces resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. Tedco's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. And Jones Lang LaSalle, they're a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.